chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. That's a beautiful song, Kate. Well done. Uh, my name is Brad. Uh, I'm usually over at Ballard. I'm the Ballard uh, lead pastor of the campus over there. Uh, I'm back here today, obviously. Uh, pray with me, and then we'll, we'll get going. Lord, we thank you uh, for reminders of that song that you do lead us, and that there's things around us all the time that remind us of your presence, not necessarily where uh, all the time where we're going, but sometimes where you've been and where we follow. Uh, Lord, as we talk about your presence today, as we talk about worship in you and uh, how it implies to our, how it applies to our life, God. Would you be the teacher this morning? Would you direct our hearts to the way that your spirit is moving? It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, do you all have the specific places in your life that hold this sense of like specialness? Like this one bench in Huntington Beach, California is where my wife and I got engaged. And so whenever I see a picture of Huntington Beach Pier, I know to look for that bench. And last time we were there, it was gone. <laughs> Sad. Um, so maybe this is a bad opening illustration. But anyways, yeah. but that one place on the beach where, where, where we, we decided that we were going to get married, she said yes to me. Uh, is there a, a place for me, have, there's this place called Hume Lake. It's a camp in California. Any, anyone been there? Yes, there's five of us. We can all party about Hume Lake later. Uh, it, it's this beautiful camp set in the mountains of California. It's a wonderful place. But Hume Lake was the place where my faith became different, where it became real, uh, where, where I had to make a decision. Am I following Jesus just for mere fire insurance so I don't go to hell? Or is there a, is, is there a relationship that needs to take place? Uh, before my wife was engaged, there was an, uh, my wife was engaged to me. There was uh, <laughs> funny. Uh, there was another place. There, there was this. Uh, I was doing like a young adult college Bible study, and we had a worship band, and we didn't have a sound person, so they put me as the sound person, and then I would turn my mic on and run forward and lead the Bible study. It was really exhausting. Uh, but there was this one time where I was sitting there getting the mics all tuned up, and my friend Tim was right here. And I saw this woman walk in, and I said to my friend Tim, who's that? And she, he goes, oh, you don't know Carrie? And I said, no. He goes, you should. Okay. And so my friend Tim's reference uh, loud, forced me to go and speak to Carrie, and we've been speaking ever since, except for that brief time where I broke up with her. Uh, it was my bad, and she'll tell you, it was my bad. I was a knucklehead. There, there are times in life and there are places in life that carry this weight because something special happened in that place. This last November, we welcomed our first, my first son, our first child into this world. His name's Judah. 
It was a scary, terrifying, holy, awesome moment. Uh, Judah was born in some hectic uh, surroundings. He, he, he had some complications when he first came out. So it was scary there. He required NICU. He required some compressions. But he's fine and he's beautiful. But this was the time where it was scary. That day holds weight in my life. And now I have this nine-month-old son that likes to look at me and go, bah! And I tell him he should try that in five years, see what happens. <laughs> Because he interrupts me. He's like, ah! Okay, I get it. <laughs> Joke's on him. He looks like me. He's got a much worse case in life. <laughs> but there are times in our life that carry these moments where everything shifted. Do you have any? Do you have those times? Maybe it was your wedding day. Hopefully it was your wedding day. Uh, maybe it was the day you met Jesus. Maybe, maybe it was that time in the doctor's office good or bad, results came in and you needed to have a talk. Uh, maybe it was that, that, that one time you were in the lawyer's place. What's that spot for you where everything changed? The world shifted a little bit. Where were you when that happened? What did it feel like? I bet you if you remember this spot more and more, you can probably remember maybe what you were wearing what it smelled like, because those places carry in our memories this bookmark to go back to because then everything changed and we are forever different. We're studying the book of Exodus and in it we get to see Moses, but we also get to see the people of Israel. And this time at Sinai was one of those places where everything changed. Everything changed for 430 some odd years. They've been trapped in Egypt as slaves and they have been told they were worthless. But now things are changing at Sinai. Sinai is a place for them to get a new identity. Sinai is the place for them to receive a new calling. Sinai is a special place to them because it's the first time in scripture that we see God speaking to a multitude of people at one time. And it's his chosen people of Israel. In Genesis, you see God talking to Noah firsthand. You see God talking to Abraham and Jacob. Uh, and, and then that's, but that's, he talks to single person people at one time. It's never to a group of people. But here at Sinai, everyone's listening. Here at Sinai, this is different. This changes. God gives them a new identity. But at Sinai, they also have this tragic point where they sort of forget the identity they've just been given. The chaos in life, the chaos that they're experiencing there at Sinai draws them back into some old habits of idolatry and takes them further away from their calling. But in all of this, they learn a valuable lesson to focus on God's goodness. And so today we'll look at some of those things and we'll first look at their, their identity that was found. We read the passage in, in Exodus 19 and God says to the people, if you will fully obey my covenant, then you out of all nations will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So think of this as you were hearing this as a person of Israel. You have been called worthless 
for your entire life. You have been measured on what it is that you can make within a single day. And if you make five bricks, you are worth five bricks. That's it. And now you are hearing from God, the one who took out your, your oppressors, the one who's led you across the Red Sea on dry land, the one who has fed you manna in the morning. I like to think of it as frosted flakes. He gave you frosted flakes in the morning and then quail come through your camp at night for dinner. And then when you were thirsty, water came out of a rock because that happens all the time. But he causes all of these things to happen. And then you are being attacked by the Amalekites and God fights on your behalf and with you and takes them out. You have this God now telling you, you are my chosen ones. You're a royal priesthood. You are set apart. Priests go back and forth and they are the representation of God to the entire world. Now Israel has a new identity and they hear this. They hear that God is wanting them to be this and they say, we want in. We want this identity. They agree to it. Now this is who they are. They are priests. They are royal and in order to live up to their calling, God gives them a set of ethics that they should follow. And in Exodus 20 follows what we know as the Ten Commandments. But if you read it closely in some of the rabbinical writings, they don't call it the Ten Commandments. They call it as the, as, as the Ten Sayings or the Ten Statements or the Ten Declarations or the Ten Words or the Ten Things. But they're not commandments. They're things that we need to live into. And as God's chosen people, as God's royal priesthood, as the ones who are set apart, this is how you should live. First off, don't worship any other gods. Second, don't, don't make gods in my likeness. Skip down a few. Don't murder your neighbor because that's probably a good way to live. Don't go killing people. Don't lie to people. Don't have affairs with each other. And he lays out these ethics of things that they should live into. The 10 points or the 10 words were not all of the law, but all of 613 pieces of the law that come later can be filed underneath these 10 points. They can be summarized and fit in every single one of them. Aren't you glad we don't have 10-point sermons? I sure am. We'd be here forever and I'd get real bored. But we'll stick to three today. But this is God saying, this is what it means to live as a priest. This is what it means to be holy representa holy representation of what God is doing on this earth. This is the structure that was provided. And the people say, we're in. We want to live this way. This is their new identity. This is who they are. But then there's something strange that happens. God has been on top of Mount Sinai. He's been thundering and lightning and earthquakes. And the people of Israel are getting a little concerned and afraid of what's happening. They develop this fear of God and not the healthy fear of God. They develop a fear of God that causes them to retreat. And they get to the point where they say, Moses, this, this God is a bit scary. We don't want to be seen face to face with him. He, he freaks us out, man. So Moses, can you be the go-between for us and God, and it's a bit of a strange request. God works with it. He works through Moses. There's there's a, a, a intercession thing happening here, 
But here you have the people given a new identity. They're God's chosen people. They're the ones he loves and cares for. How he's going to set his redemptive plan for the entire world is through them. And here they say, we're a little scared of you, so we're going to back off a little bit, and Moses is going to do this for us. It's a little strange, don't you think? They have this opportunity to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe who has brought them this far and they elect somebody else to have the experience and they'll just learn from Moses. It doesn't seem right. Yet we have the same story of Israel. We have the same trajectory that they have Moses assures the people of Israel that God's not really that scary. He's just doing these things so you don't sin. But it doesn't matter. They, want, they don't want to meet face to face with him. We as followers of Christ have been called out of slavery, of sin, into a new life within Jesus. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new name. In Ephesians it says we're adopted into this new family. We are now not enemies any longer. We are now face to face with Christ. We are, not, we are reconciled with him. There's no longer any barrier between us and him. We're given this new identity. And then there's echoes of this all the way through uh, the New Testament. But Second Peter I'm sorry, First Peter says it most, says it the best. It says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Peter's writing to believers in the first century. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Does it sound a little bit like Exodus? And he says, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light once You were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have that same calling on our lives, yet we have the same response that Israel has. And sometimes we back off and go, can I get like a proxy here? Because this is a little scary. And we start living our faith vicariously through other people. We only open our Bibles and study or look at the scriptures or open the app when we're at church. We trust somebody else's experience of community more than we do when we want to get involved ourselves. We start living our faith via the experiences of somebody else and we substitute a first-hand experience for a second-hand knowledge. We have a tendency to back off We might feel like we're living into our new identities, that we're doing the right thing, that we're going through the right motions, but really, we're just learning what that person learned. I do this all the time. I like to read books, and sometimes I substitute the books that I read for the actual text of Scripture. I like to hear what somebody else says about it instead of what God is trying to say to me, and we substitute people and things instead of experiencing God with our own lives. It's sort of like the habit my wife and I get in every once in a while. We wonder if it's raining outside, and we have a small little home. And uh, instead of walking out the door 10 feet and going like this to see if it's raining, we break out our phones and we go to the weather app and say, is it raining? Yes, okay. We settle for Yahoo weather or whatever it is on the iPhone that gives you weather instead of experiencing it firsthand. 
when really it would just take us walking outside and putting our hand out. We trust somebody else's knowledge of the environment before we can go experience it for ourselves. This is what Israel is doing. And while Moses is up getting more detail on how they're supposed to live as these new people called to be his representation of God on earth, the people begin to panic because their representative can't be seen. And when they panic, their identity is lost. And in Exodus chapter uh, 32, it comes to this point, their identity is lost. Moses goes back up to meet with God and he's been there for 40 days and the people see this. And when they saw that Moses was gone for so long, this is in 32.1, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, and said, come, make us gods before us that will go before us because for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. They became a little impatient. This person that they've been living their faith through, this representation between God and them had been gone for 40 days and they were beginning to show a little bit of panic. And so they run and they say, Aaron, Aaron, we're freaked out. We think God has ditched us. We haven't seen Moses. God's gone. Make for us other representations of God so that these people can go before us and show us into this land. Do you see the problem that's happening here? Their substitute, their proxy is missing and so they instantly want to make another one. And Aaron goes along with it, which tells me he's panicking too. And so he makes this. He says, give me your jewelry. And then he forms a a calf of a bull calf or some kind of animal like that because that's what you should worship, right? A a cow. And so they, they, they bring it and he says, this is the God who has brought you out of Egypt, which is a direct quote back to Exodus 20 when God gives them the 10 words. He says, I am the Lord who have brought you out of Egypt. And now they're looking at this representation of God, this cheap substitute because they're panicking saying that that's the one who brought us out of Egypt. Because when your substitute can't be seen, when the person you've been living your faith through, when the person that you, the object of your faith is gone, you panic and you find another substitute. When you can't see them anymore, you find another substitute. My my son Judah, we can put him in the middle of the room and put toys around him and play with him, but the moment one of us goes to the bathroom because you got to do that sometimes and leaves him in the room all by himself. He thinks the world has fallen apart and he starts screaming. And then you peek your head around the corner. He's fine. But he thinks because we have gone, his security is missing and he is a wreck and he's screaming and crying. And I know it's because he's nine months old, but it shows a picture of us The moment our security blanket leaves and we all have these security blankets that we use in place of God to show us his presence, the moment those things leave, we begin to panic. And it's easy for us to look at Israel here and they lost their identity, they they panicked. And it's easy for us to look at them and go, oh, silly Israel, what are they thinking? Don't they know they can just turn the pages three, page, three chapters over and see that God's been there the whole time? Don't they know this? No, they didn't. And we look at them and we make fun of them and we make jokes. But really, when we do that, we're the biggest hypocrites. 
Because we do the same thing all the time. What happens when your checking account goes below the number that you're comfortable with? Panic. God's missing. What happens when you've been praying for something all of, for a long time? You've been praying for healing for a friend or you've been praying that God would move in a certain way and then God doesn't. What happens? Your faith bolts. What happens when that person fails you? What happens when that, that friend takes off and moves? Your faith leaves it's easy for us to sit here and, and wag our fingers at Israel, but really we need to be ragging, wagging our fingers at ourselves too because we do the same thing. We have substitutes all in our lives that show us that God is present with us that aren't God himself and we fall into the same trap of idolatry here. It wasn't that they broke the first rule or the first word of God, the 10 words. They broke the second one. They thought what they were doing was good. They said, Aaron, we want to have a festival unto Yahweh, unto the Lord. And so they built an idol to represent him. We do the same thing. My faith is secure. I'm worshiping God, but I'm worshiping God only because everything is lined up and everything is going my way. The moment those things leave, so does our faith. And we fall into the same trap because we miss his presence. And our identities are lost when we can't see his presence. And we fall into the same trap that it's, that it's been there. God is talking to Moses about this uh, during this time. And he says, Moses, you need to check out what your people are doing. Moses comes down, sees what's happening. And there is this divine interplay between Moses and God that you really should read sometimes. We can spend another four Sundays talking about this conversation between God and Moses. What happens is God wants to stop and wipe out Israel and begin again with Moses. And Moses says, God, you can't do that. You don't want to do that. That's not good. And God relents from his anger. In one sense, it says God changes his mind in this. And God decides he's going to remain with the people of Israel. And Moses becomes their intercessor. And, that, and God then forgives but there's this interplay that happens and God comes back and says, my presence will still be with them. When we have substitutes, we walk away from God and we start to lose our identity. But the truth is in the middle of all of that and in the middle of the chaos, God never leaves us. His presence is with us all around. And so Moses goes back to the top of the hill he wants to ensure that God is going to continue with them inside this journey to the promised land. Moses goes back to Sinai and he wants to be sure that this is going to happen. And he goes to God and he asks them three questions in Exodus 33. The first one he says is, God, will you have favor and will you remember this nation? And God looks at him and says, yes, I will give you rest in the middle of the chaos in life where they, where they think that God has left them and where they have left God, God says, I am still for you and I will give you rest. Moses asks another question. He, he wants to know if Israel still has its calling, if Israel still has its identity. And God comes back to him and says, uh, yes, I will give you everything that you have asked for. 
God has never left them. In the presence, when they think God is gone, God is still promising these, these, these things. And then Moses wants something more. Moses is a lot like you and I. He's seen that God, that, that, that God was mad and that, that God might leave. And Moses wants an experience with God to ensure that the calling is still there. Moses has his doubts. We have our doubts. We're a lot like Moses too, good and bad. Moses goes back to God and says, this strange request, and he says, God, I've gotten the first two answers I want now. Will you show me your glory? The word glory there is the Hebrew word kabod. It means honor, splendor. When it boils down to it, it's a manifestation of God's glory. It's a, it's a symbol of God's presence. Moses is sort of asking for what the people of Israel are asking for, but he's asking the right person. Instead of making something for himself that shows him God's presence, he's going right to the source and saying, God, will you show me that you're still around? And God gives him this, this strange answer. He says in verse 19, Moses, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I will have compassion. But God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. God's response is pretty strange. Yes, Moses, I will show you. You want to see my glory. Let me show you my goodness. Let me show you how good I am. And that way you'll notice that I haven't left you, that your identity is secure, and I'm still with you. And in order to do this, God tells Moses, no one's ever seen my face and lived, and he hides him in the corner of a rock and says, what's gonna happen is I'm going to pass you, and then when it's safe for you to come out, you can look, and then you'll see my back, and you will know that, I, that you'll see my glory. It's an interesting play on words, what's happening here. Moses wants this experience, and God says, I'll show you this experience, and you'll see it because you'll know how good I am. When you fly into Seattle, if you're lucky, uh, your pilot will give you an aerial tour of Seattle. He'll go over the bay and then come into SeaTac. I love it. Whenever the pilots do it, my camera roll fills up because it's just it's beautiful. Uh, but there's something that happens is oftentimes you'll come up and you'll look down and you'll see these big old freighters and you have no idea where they're going. They're coming in. Uh, you don't know if they're going to Tacoma. You, at some point, you don't know if they're coming down here into Elliott Bay. But when you zoom out on, on them, you can see where they've been because they leave this huge wake behind them. Have you seen this before? And you can almost trace that wake all the way up into the strait if it's clear enough. You can see where they've been. In a sense, this is what God is saying to Moses. Moses, you might not be able to detect where I'm going because no one's seen my face and lived, but I'm going to walk by you and you'll be able to see everywhere I've been. You'll be able to see my goodness pass you by. And that's how you know that I am present. This panic in our lives that we have because we live in a world that's vastly broken. 
We live in a political system that's a mess. There's racism in our streets. There's violence in our schools. This world is broken and it's hard to see that, that God is present with us because of the chaos in our lives and our world. And many of you, like me, have said, where is God in this? God, we need to see you. We need to see your presence. And God sometimes will say exactly the same words to us as he said in Moses. You can't see where I'm going in this. But you can see where I've been. And when you see where I've been, you'll know that I've been with you this entire time. You can't see where I've been, but, but you can see where, I'm, where I've come from. And I've never left you. The presence of God is there. The identity is still secure. He's still with you in the middle of chaos. But something shifts in this. In order for Moses to see this, he has to change his posture. He has to change the way he's sitting. He has to duck and look from a different angle. For us to know and sense the presence of God, perhaps there's some things in our lives where we need to change and stop going through our cheap substitutes in order to experience God's goodness firsthand. We have to change the way we see things. We have to change our viewing spots. I have a friend, and, and I, I don't know if I've talked about him here before. Uh, he has a boat in Silshow, and we were sailing one night, and we sailed all the way up to Edmonds. The wind was great, and then we turned around, and the wind died. Uh, and a wind on a no wind on a sailboat's a bad thing. And and so he's he puts the sails down. We fire up the engines, and he puts on autopilot. There's a big group of us on the boat. And we sit on the side of the boat. We drink water. And, and, <laughs> and we're, we're sitting on the side of the boat and we're chatting. And it's a wonderful night. It's clear. The sun's setting behind the Olympics. It's, a, it's picturesque. It's beautiful. Little clouds in the sky that are turning bright orange as they do. The water's calm. I'm a bird lover, so there's eagles. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And my friend is, is sort of dabbling with faith. He comes in and out. He has a lot of doubts, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and he, he and I are talking, and he says to me, Brad, sometimes I just can't see any evidence for God. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he tells me why. Uh, there's so much of this. There's things happening, and, and he's seen some movies that expose other things, and he's just going down the line on why he thinks God's not there. And he goes, do you ever think about this, and do you think God is with us? And I, I looked back and went, yeah, look around. Can you see his goodness around us right now? The fact that you're breathing, that's a good thing. Your, your, heart, took, your heart took another beat. That's a good thing. His goodness is everywhere. My friend has a hard time changing his posture and his viewpoints to see God's goodness surrounding him in areas and he can't see where God is moving in the mess and he refuses to turn around and look where God has been in the midst of it. And my concern and fear is that that's where most of us stand. We have doubts and we can't necessarily see where God is, is moving. And we haven't turned around enough to see where God has been. 
and that he's been right with us this entire time. Jesus says that he'll never leave us. He won't forsake us. Paul talks about it. He says, not the highest things, not the lowest things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are his people. We are still his representation of him to this broken earth around us. When people want to see what God's look like or what God looks like, they might look at you. You are the representation of God's goodness to this world around us. We are still his people. We have that identity. And he's with us and he won't leave us. We have to change our posture. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the promise that you won't leave us. We thank you for the promise that you are good. And Lord, we might look for you in other people and other places, and in those places we won't find you. Lord, give us the courage to experience in you for ourselves. Lord, give us that firsthand knowledge of how good you are. Lord, give us the ability to open our eyes and change our postures to see it, that you're all around us, that you've never left us at all. And Lord, help us to find you in all of the mess. We thank you for your presence. May we turn to your presence first instead of the others. It's in your name we pray.